There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, welcome back. Hi-Fi Radio, a show about high finance. Wolfgang Klein, your host, and Jack Hartle, my wingman in studio. Uh, got an action-packed show booked for you today. We're going to start with uh, Greg Schnell. He's a senior technical analyst at StockCharts.com. StockCharts is probably one of the best charting services available, and it's free. Uh, we're then going to speak with a portfolio manager from Fiera Capital, Michael Levine. Uh, it's a global portfolio. Uh, think local, lack global, or the other way around. I don't know. We'll invest globally. It makes a lot more sense in this day and age. And we are going to end it with a discussion about sustainability and industrial uh, with one of our analysts, uh, Chip Moore. Uh, we're going to talk about water stocks and sustainable investing. Uh, it feels good. It sounds good. Uh, and it's going to be good. Uh, without further ado, let's speak with Greg Schnell. Uh, Greg, thank you very kindly for joining us on Hi-Fi Radio. Good morning. Yeah. So, uh, Greg, I met you a couple weeks ago. Well, you're up at the podium. I was in the audience at the... Um, was it the Charter Financial Analysts uh, Association, uh, the, the chapter of Toronto, uh, was meeting? That's right. Yes. Canadian yeah. Society of Technical Analysts. That's right, yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was good. So uh, I got your uh, most recent published piece here. It's an interesting headline, Trading on Both Sides of a Barbed Wire Fence. Uh, please, uh, why such a headline uh, for from a technician? Uh, you know, I like to be as bullish as possible, but uh, just starting to get my indicators rolling over and, and uh, the presentation I did that a couple of weeks back mentioned that, you know, some signs were starting to show up that the markets were changing a little bit. And while we were still, um, you know, everything continued to rise, there were starting to be some undercurrents that, that would concern me. One of the big pictures that I see, so as an example, just looking worldwide on a monthly basis, if I took kind of 16 of the, the biggest markets around the world, uh, five of them are already on a sell signal, and 11 are not, but they're, uh, quite a few of them are very close. And then um, on the weekly basis, we have more of them. We have, we have nine on a sell signal, and we have seven uh, still on a buy. So just that's what I mean. We're on the long term, it, it's still okay, but on the short term, it's starting to weaken significantly. And not that uh, I don't ever expect the U.S. markets to lead us down. Uh, usually the rest of the world kind of weakens and then the U.S. follows. So I like to watch the world just to see what the mood is like. And then if that starts to change, then I get a little more concerned. And I would say that's where I am now. Isn't it interesting because we actually have a global money manager joining us uh, in our next interview. And, uh, well, again, he's doing just that. He's, he's uh, investing money around the world for us uh, outside of Canada uh, and, and actually light on the United States because Jack and I do that part very, very well ourselves. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. One of our other guests, um, who am I referring to, Jack, the macro tourist? Uh, oh, Kevin Muir. Ke- Kevin Muir. He put out a good piece a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Greg, I think you're going to find this interesting because uh, I saw your chart. Uh, at your presentation about China and uh, the was it the Hank sorry the uh, uh, Hang Seng index I think it was uh, that is now in official bear market territory in other words it's fallen uh, north of twenty percent I saw your chart in, as a p- potential uh, canary in the coal mine um, but then when speaking with Kevin Muir Kevin said you know there's something more fundamental going on. 
uh, globally, and, and that is quantitative tightening. It's the opposite of quantitative easing. So uh, during the financial crises, uh, the central banks, much to the chagrin of, of, of many pundits, uh, began printing money, um, buying back bonds to depress interest rates to stimulate the economy. Well, they're taking that punch bowl away from the marketplace, and they're no longer um, uh, renewing uh, or reinvesting those bonds or allowing them to mature, which basically means they're taking money out of the system. And it's published uh, by the central bank when they are going to do their co- quote-unquote quantitative tightening, and it happens basically every month at month end. And we're now seeing, perhaps uh, 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 anecdotally or, or, or with fact behind it, uh, the market weaken uh, at month end uh, because of this uh, lack of liquidity coming to the system. Uh, you see, with two days left in the quarter, important data points coming out. Friday, of course, the 29th going to produce the end of the day, end of week, and end of month. Uh, end of quarter data is very, very important as well. So let's go back now to your charts. You see your charts are setting up a lot of tension uh, as much perhaps as a guitar string. Yeah, and so as an example, this morning the S&P 500 made new one-month lows um, on the open, and the TSX, after making a new high last week, um, kind of has lost that new high and is already down to three-week lows. So um, in a really quick reversal, and I would just, I'd, I'd use the words an important inflection point. Which way it ends up going is you know, I, w- I would just say we're at the 50-yard line here. Are we going to start playing defense or offense? And uh, there, there's a couple of bright spots in the big picture. That is, you know, both Australia and Canada recently broke out to new highs. So that would suggest that maybe we're starting to get a swing back into the commodity cycle in the very big picture. So uh, that would give me some hope. Yeah. Uh, I wanna, I wanna, if I may actually, Greg, interject on that, and then we're going to go to a quick yeah. commercial break. But Jack and I called Tony Dwyer again. After your presentation, you nudged me a little bit. You didn't know that, but that was the power of your words up at your podium. So I, I, I ran back to the office. Well, I walked back. Um, and I called Tony Dwyer in the States and said, Tony, saw a fellow named Greg Chanel, and he pointed out to me the weakness in the Chinese market, potential canary in the coal mine. And he said, Woofy. And he said, just that, Woofy, don't worry about it. The commodity market is strong. It's resilient. It's holding in. The market will not go bare with commodities holding Holding up with copper north of three bucks, with Nakati, uh, Nat gas, you know, reasonably reasonably above three bucks. Oil, seventy one dollars. He he also highlighted the fact that uh, it's it's a it's the the Trump trade war, and he's saying that you know the the market is telling you that China is losing that trade war, and the U.S. is winning for the time being, just because of the, the market action, the market dictates. Correct. And again, the potential red herring, Jack, you spoke about to me with respect to Iran. Uh, and, and, and Well, China. they're going they're going tough on Iran and, uh, you know, because that really does not affect the, the global economy as much as going hard on China with the trade policy. But uh, Iran is a powerhouse in, in energy. So, um, you know, uh, the, the U.S. is going strong on there, but they also have a lot of energy production. Uh, we're online with Greg Schnell. He's a senior technical analyst at StockCharts.com. Uh, he combs the world charts uh, to look for clues to help Help us better manage your money. So please stay tuned to Hi-Fi Radio. Uh, pay some bills around here and get right back with Greg Schnell right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back. It is Saturday and it's Hi-Fi Radio, 640 in Toronto on the Global News Radio Network. 
We have Greg Schnell on the line. He's a technician with Stock Charts. Uh, Greg, thank you for hanging around with uh, Jack and I. Greg, in our last segment, you were talking about uh, the the short-term sell signal that you're seeing in worldwide uh, global markets. I guess five uh, of the economies or markets that you follow are in a short-term sell signal. Um, and you also mentioned that longer-term things are okay. Does that just mean that uh, you know short-term weakness presents an opportunity to the clients or to our listeners? You know, uh, the way the charts are shaping, so it's it's more that they're all falling. And I think one of the big things to just just to pick a name, so um, you know, we I, I had heard Tony Dwyer's interview a couple of days ago, and, and Tony mentioned that you know he he all this bullish and he he well, and I agree with that. Um, on on the long term, he's got a, a target of thirty two hundred. But things like the industrial metals are really falling um, significantly. So everything from copper, uh, steel, coal, lithium, rare earth metals, all of those charts are broken. All of the ag charts are broken. So the soybean chart is really under pressure right now with some of the tariff debate going back and forth. And so we're starting to see significant weakness in those commodities. Copper is another chart that's broken. So huh. as all uh, aluminum, uh, all of those charts are broken together. And normally, and we all know that gold and, and silver haven't been able to bounce. Um, so all of those charts, just to pick nine in a row, um, they're all broken. So that doesn't feel like a bullish move to me. And again, you know, I keep watching the charts every week, but right now all of them are turned down. And that failed breakout on Canada last week is a little bit concerning. Um, so I'm trying not to get too bearish, but when all of these charts are breaking as a package and the global charts are starting to crack, it might suggest that we're, you know, a weak summer and then maybe we get another opportunity in the fall. The longer term then, uh, do, you, do you believe that we remain in a secular bull market, which means a bull market that, that uh, spans multiple years, uh, perhaps you know, 15, 16 years uh, from start to finish? Or do you believe that basically the secular bull market is uh, finished and uh, we're going into a cyclical or a secular bear market? Um, well, I, I still think we're, it's too early to call any break in the secular bull. The, the bull is alive and well. I will say a big market that's pretty important, obviously, is the Shanghai market. And it is sitting on a 23-year trend line today. So what, what that normally means is when you... When your market is trending higher and you continue to make higher highs and higher lows, that's a good thing. When you start to break that uptrend, and uh, that, that usually means something significant is changing. So at this point, I would still say everything's in bull market mode, but the Shanghai has got a 23-year trend line. It's sitting on the uh, South Korean market has a 20-year trend line. It's sitting on the Nikkei's got a six-year trend line. So there's lots of places to look for trouble. Um, the big question is, you know, the trend lines normally find support and then they bounce off it. I will say that the Shanghai market right now is is a long way away from its median. So, you know, a bounce back up would be welcome, would be uh, really <laughs> expected almost because it's so far below. But the, the chart shape on the Shanghai market right now is, I would just say, one of our biggest clues that something is getting more difficult. And maybe it's the trade war, but with all of the industrial metals, the soybean, corn, wheat charts all still broken, 
I'm just not seeing the pickup. And, and crude is approaching $75. I'm sitting in Calgary. I want to see crude very bullish. Yeah. Um, but $75 is an important level for crude, and it goes back almost uh, 15 years, back into 2005, 2006. That's an important level for crude oil. So between $75 and $80 is a really important friction level. And right now, the crude the exploration and production stocks, both in Canada and the U.S., are somewhat underperforming the moving crude. Usually that doesn't bode well. We, we want the exploration and production companies to move faster than crude, and they're not doing that right now. Well, what's your take, just in the interest of time, Greg, um, the Canadian dollar? It's been under a lot of pressure. It's hovering at around 75 cents today. Um, do you think the Canadian dollar trends lower or goes higher? My, my guess is it's, it's oversold and, and, and certainly due for a bounce and well below uh, purchasing parity. So I think the Canadian dollar is oversold. What's your opinion? You know, at this point, it, it is definitely down in the dumps. The, the one chart that keeps surprising me is the U.S. dollar strength. Yep. Um, I was really surprised to see it make a higher high this uh-huh. week. Uh, <laughs> quite frankly, I expected it to roll over hard. Yeah, a lot of so, people did. I did, and I, again, fundamentally, I said there's no reason why this U.S. dollar should be so weak, have, having the strongest economy in the world, plus with the highest interest rates in the world, eventually money would have to wake up to that fact. Or perhaps the U.S. dollar is is a place of safety, and perhaps it too, its strength maybe is another canary in the coal mine. What do you think of that? Yeah, I, I, that I would agree with, because the bond markets are all starting to move uh, with higher prices, lower yields, and the five-year, 10-year, and 30-year, um, which were um, in the article that I had published the other day, uh, those, those charts are getting more significant um, in terms of breakdowns in yield. So if the yield is going lower and people are putting money into bonds, there must be a reason they're walking away from something else. Why are they going into the safety of a bond market here? And so that that whole group um, suggests to me more trouble. And the, the U.S. financials are very weak. Um, a lot of those charts, you know, I think they've fallen for 13 days in a row or something. So... Uh, the whole thing feels to me like we're trying to get defensive here. And again, the U.S. dollar usually rises in a defensive situation. It does, yeah. Well, it, it, as a Canadian investor, it is a wonderful hedge. Having a U.S. portfolio unhedged, meaning uh, exposing yourself to the U.S. dollar, really helps us Canadians out a lot in times of trouble. So yeah, U.S. stock will go down, but at least you'll get some cushion with the uh, currency rising. Um, Greg Chanel, a real treat to have you on our show, your de- debut hit on Hi-Fi Radio. Uh, Jack says you pass, which means you get to come back on if you are so gracious to join us again. Uh, much appreciate your time. We're now going to take a uh, well trip around the world with uh, Michael Levine. He is a portfolio manager for Fiera Capital. Um, Jack and I own the Fiera Capital Global Fund, and uh, we look forward to speak with Michael Levine on Hi-Fi Radio right after this. Money. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Yes, it is Hi-Fi Radio. Wolfgang Klein, your host. 
We have Michael Levine on the line. He is with Fiera Capital. And whenever we have a French-Canadian on Hi-Fi Radio, well, they get some safety dance. Oh, he's also doing the safety dance around the market there, Wolf, oh, that's with, a, with his hedging strategy. That's a very good point. So, uh, Michael Levine, welcome to Hi-Fi Radio. Good morning. Uh, you are in Montreal? Yes. Oh, beautiful. Le Belle Provence, <laughs> eh? Quebec is such a wonderful place. And uh, now, do you know who say? Uh, do, do you know uh, that song, Safety Dance? Uh, no. No, that, you see, you're too young. You are such a young, <laughs> young fellow. That's exactly how we find out how old you are. Do you know Safety Dance? That was a on Saint Denis Street, my friend. They were playing that song in the '80s, like you couldn't believe. You're just a, <laughs> you're twinkling your mom and dad's eyes. Um, so you're a global money manager with Fiera Capital, um, and you also manage risk at Fiera Capital. It's early in the morning uh, in Hi-Fi Radio, but uh, you have a very, very sophisticated um, risk management strategy, which sounds to me to be pretty important because our last guest, um, uh, Greg Schnell, uh, he's been looking at the global charts and he has a lot of cause for concern. Um, he, you know, he sees weakness in commodities. He sees weakness in China. Uh, he sees uh, multiple uh, markets um, uh, in, in, in the sell territory. Uh, and, and I would say asset classes, they're just not cheap anymore either, right? With the interest rates where they are, bonds have never been more expensive. Mm-hmm. They're making equities, not at historic high valuations, but they're at the higher end of the scale. Correct. So, you know, when you have, all those all those asset classes being so expensive, you you know, uh, it may be a prudent time to put a hedging strategy on, you know, to, yeah. ma- to manage risk or at least entertain the idea. Yeah. So so uh, Michael, let, let's talk then about your safety dance. Um, what do you see uh, as, as a manager of money at Fiera Capital? And uh, if you see cautionary environment, how are you protecting? Yes. So uh, after a phenomenal year in uh, 2017, and even in uh, January of this year. Uh, we've uh, we've seen that investors have been uh, quicker at taking profits, and uh, also with uh, what we see in the market is that some investors feel that bonds uh, might might not be as good as an edge as it, uh, as they, they were in the the past market correction. As good of a so, hedge, you said, correct? Yes, exactly. That's interesting. So, bonds bonds not a hedge. I see that because yeah, I just want to interrupt you if I may, because th- that's why people own bonds because they are what's called often negatively correlated to stocks. In other words, um, in, in times of crises, stocks fall, and money used to go to the bond market, pushing bond prices higher, giving you a bit of a cushion, similar to the U.S. dollar. So you're saying that's not necessarily the case right now. Exactly, and uh, this is what uh, I've been traveling quite a bit in the past couple months, and what we see from uh, advisors and uh, different types of investors as well is that um, they feel that um, what uh, bonds uh, saved uh, in their portfolio in the past uh, crises, you know, it's going to be different going forward. And uh, this is the whole thesis behind a balanced fund. So what we're, um, in, in our case, what we're, we're proposing is uh, is an equity uh, fund uh, based on a uh, quality manager and then with the risk overlay on top, which is basically controlling volatility. So, you know, now this is where you guys do something that's very, very sophisticated. And, um <clears throat> Again, we're going to go a little high level. This is high finance. Uh, I don't want to uh, uh, cause people to go a little, cl- uh, what's the word, foggy in their minds as we speak with you right now. But as a professional money manager, Jack and I know that the first half hour of trading and the last half hour of trading are the most important times of a trading day, 9.30 to 4 o'clock. Your firm really focuses on that last half hour of market activity, correct? So please tell us why the last half hour and what do you look for and what do you then do to adjust? 
Yes, so uh, let let me take a a step back. Um, In terms of what we do, we looked at the market, uh, you know, during the day, um, and we look at, um, basically, we have large data sets for all the different markets, and these are five-minute ticks data sets. But what we noticed doing our research for the past 10 years is that the last half hour, we've seen a lot of money managers rebalancing ETFs and ETNs also rebalancing their their portfolio. Mm -hmm. And this gives us a good insight as of um, where the market's going to open the day after, but also uh, after hours trading, which which is basically from 4 to 4.15 in the futures market. And I'd say that's very interesting because you're taking the the passive strategies of ETFs and ETNs. Um, You know, a lot of money is flowing into that space and being an active manager that you are, you're taking advantage of it and being able to use it to your advantage to, you know, manage risk and uh, get a a good risk adjusted return for your clients' portfolios. Fantastic. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. So look, we're we're on the line here with uh, Michael Levine. He is in Montreal. Uh, he's portfolio manager with Fiera Capital. Uh, Jack and I have placed uh, some of our smaller accounts, uh, our TFSA accounts and our ESP accounts, a portion of that money in the Fiera Capital Global uh, Fund. And uh, it's a real treat to have you on the line. We're gonna pay some bills around here at Hi Fi Radio and get right back to Michael Levine with Fiera Capital right after this. Listen, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. That'll wake you up. Hi-Fi Radio. Good day. Good morning. Wishing you a fantastic weekend. Uh, Wolfgang Klein here on Hi-Fi Radio, a show about money. Jack Hartle in studio with me, my right-hand man, and we got Michael Levine. He is a portfolio manager with Fiera Capital, residing in Montreal. Uh, Thank you for joining us on the show, staying with us here, Michael. I want to talk to you again about your hedging strategy, because Jack mentioned that you want to talk about, you know, when you hedge, uh, you must pay, so there is no free lunch. Um, but being able to offer risk management, clients often ask me, "Gee, Wolf, how are you going to get out? How are you going know to when to uh, raise cash, et cetera, et cetera?" And you know, Jack and I uh, operate both scientifically and, and artistically in, in our decision-making process. But you, 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 your firm seems, of course, you, you you apply art and science too to your work. But you're much more, or you're a lot more methodical and sophisticated in what you're able to do. So I want, I want you to share with the audience, please, Michael, specifically. How do you hedge? What type of instruments are you buying to protect the portfolio to the downside? Uh, and also, I want to talk to you a bit about, about the cost as well, because I think Jack mentioned to me. Last it's, it's, year, it's like buying an insurance policy, no, right? but la- Yeah, but last year, the, the, the one fund without the hedge, pre- what was the return on it, uh, Michael? The, yes, it was 21%. 21% uh, without, without the hedge. hedge. And with the hedge, how much was it? What was the return? It was, yeah. Right around eighteen seventy five. So around eighteen point seven five percent. I would say both excellent returns. Fantastic returns. But, but but to hedge to protect on the downside, you had to give up a couple of percent of return. And, and that was in a very good uh, rising trending market. So you would expect obviously the hedging strategy to outperform in a down market. But net net over a long term cycle, there is a cost to hedge. And like I said, it's you could be you could equate it to the cost of insurance, right? So you, yeah. you know you insure your house, you pay your premium. And hopefully you never have a to claim, claim, right? But it, there is a cost to it. But, but but Michael, so specifically, what type of instruments do you use to hedge the portfolio? 
So we use derivatives, uh, futures and options. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can see the options as really the, the insurance premium. Uh, so basically, we're buying puts on uh, on indes- indices. Yep. And uh, something that is different um, that we do differently than the other managers out there is that we are not pre-committed to buy put options. So what you will see uh, usually is that people have a, a risk budget for put options or a spending kind of the maximum amount that they're willing to spend for a given year. Yep. This is not something that we do. We try to, to use these uh, behavioral biases that are out there, uh, something like overconfidence, trend chasing, and illusion of control that makes market, uh, financial markets either going up too fast or low too fast as well. So what we're trying to achieve on the put side is basically buying insurance premium when it's cheap and selling it in periods of stress. And I think that uh, February 5th and 6th of this year is a good example. Um, we've, we, we bought insurance uh, in early January where uh, implied volatility was extremely low and everybody seemed to be complacent about uh, financial markets and uh, forecasting 20% uh, annualized return forever. Yeah. So, uh, so this is when we decided to, the models kicked in and we, we decided to, to buy put options and uh, we sold those options on February 6th which was, uh, if you if you guys remember, the day after the big uh, you know f- spikes involved uh, with the uh, short volatility ETFs uh, going bust, basically. Um, do you want to explain to the audience, Michael, what a put is? Yes. So a put options is basically a protection. If we use a stock uh, as an example, if you buy a put on Apple, um, this is the, this gives you the right to sell the the stock at a certain price. So say you have a put at $100. If uh, the stock goes down to 80, you, you'll be able to send it for 100. So it's it's downside protection. Mm-hmm. Very good. And and in terms of um, the future market, uh, to what degree are you guys trading uh, futures um, uh, in terms of percentage of the portfolio versus options? Yeah, so it's uh, the, the futures uh, exposures uh, varies a lot. So last year, the lowest exposure we had was uh, minus 4%. So for a 100% uh, long portfolio, this would give you, uh, after the edge, a 96% uh, exposure, right? And we uh, in February of this year, we went all the way to 50%. So for a 100% exposed fund, we were net long 50%. So this varies a lot depending on volatility and uh, also on the, it seems cliche, but on the volatility of volatility as well. Smart, smart, smart stuff. So, Mike, just with the additional volatility and the, the weakness that we had or that we have currently in the market, um, short term weakness, that is, uh, how are you guys currently positioned uh, and what's your net long position? Yeah. So uh, as of this morning, uh, we were uh, we had an edge of about 22 uh, percent. Uh, and this edge has been uh, has been volatile. Uh, so financial markets have been moving very fast. Uh, if we uh, just think about uh, Monday. Uh, we uh, it was a Saint Jean in Quebec, but uh, markets. Were ah, that's a fun day, isn't it? <laughs> I, I, I once hit Quebec City on that day. Did not know what hit me, uh, and then out came the crowds and the party and the odd the odd separatists flying the uh, separatist flag. That's right. It's a good so time. It's a good time. Sorry. So basically, uh, markets w- were open, and uh, there was a, a lot of 
Um, you know, uh, people were worried about a new Trump's policy in terms of trades and Chinese investments in the U.S. And uh, so markets were down uh, at the lowest more than 2% in the U.S. And uh, so the, and then before the end of the day, they came back almost half, uh, you know, what they uh, they were falling before, simply because uh, someone from the Trump administration said something uh, that was more bullish or less strict in terms of policies. Right. So we've seen those intraday movements that are extremely large, and this is why we believe that our strategy is uh, is different and also more efficient. Is that uh, we do not use daily data uh, as most of the the risk models out there do. Uh, we use intraday data, so this allows us to take positions during the day and not only once a day. And the the example that I tend to to give to uh, um, potential investors and investors as well, is that if you would have an S&P 500 opening at 2,700 uh, in terms of the, the open, it would, and it, if it would travel 500 points during the day but close at the same exact point, mm-hmm. uh, a daily model would see this as zero vol. But, you know, this was a lot. Uh, this was right, because because the model uses closing prices, I guess. Is that what it is? Exactly. Yeah. So we we look at the prices during the day. So uh, this is very important. In, uh, in at the early of February of this year, it seemed like a very uh, you know uh, seems like very volatile. But it was a lot worse than what we've missed, witnessed in the past ten years. If you looked at the intraday charts. Yeah. Well, look, uh, we're we're on the line here with Michael Levine. We in just a time we do have to um, move on to our next guest. But I will say your your product at Fiera Capital, your global fund with the with the hedge overlay, is a very very unique mutual fund on the street. I, I've I've really seen the mutual funds offer such um, downside protection. Doesn't mean there's no risk in the portfolio, but they're trying to reduce the volatility uh, with uh, exactly. What Michael Levine has been talking about. He, of course, calls it an edge. We call it a hedge. Um, but that's a beautiful accent to yours, my good friend. Michael, uh, a real treat to have you on the show. Very, very fresh, uh, unique product. Uh, I, uh, I hope it works for Jack and I, as our clients are depending on us, and hence we're depending on you uh, to help uh, edge some risk away for us. Okay, my good friend? Thank you very much. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. Uh, Coming up next, we are going to speak with Chip in the United States. We're going to talk about sustainable investing and also talk a little bit about a water stock, stocks named Xylem. Very, very interesting company. And you know something? Without water, there is no life. Right here on Hi-Fi Radio. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Money. It's a gas. Grab that Welcome back. Hi-Fi Radio, Wolfgang Klein, Jack Hartle, your hosts of a show about money. Uh, we have Chip Moore. He's an analyst with Canaccord. Uh, Join us. Good day. Good morning, Chip. Good morning from uh, Boston, Massachusetts. How you doing? Uh, yes, hockey rival, eh? Yeah, that's right. Yes, indeed. I wouldn't say they're a rival. We don't really compete with them very well. <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> sure, it's we It's got to be a fair match to be a, a rivalry. Hey, pal, our Leafs are worth more money than the Bruins, right? We checked on that a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> it's all about money. So our stock price is higher than yours. How's that? That's right. Yeah, without scoring a whole lot of goals. Um. 
Chip, you helped me out a couple of days ago. A stock that came to my attention when I was on BNN last week. A listener called in and asked me about Xylem. And that's a sure. stock I've been monitoring now for about a year. And I said, gee, was the stock so expensive? And then when the listener called in, uh, he pointed to my attention. The stock pulled back about 10, 12 bucks. I said, good, a chance to once again look at this very quality water company. Um, and it's incredible because really over the last 15 years, there's been a lot of interest uh, amongst investors who want long life assets, alternatives to regular stocks. Water has always come up over and over and over again. And yet to find a pure play water company has been the challenge. People look to GE because they had a bit of water exposure or other conglomerates who had some water exposure, but never a pure play. Uh, and then along comes Xylem, which was a spin out from a company called what, ITT. And right. hence is now a global pure play on water. So can you please share with me what the company does specifically, why the stock pulled back and where we as investors and Jack and I as portfolio managers, uh, stewards of our clients' money, uh, could look at buying the stock. Xylem is the stock, the symbol is XYL on the big board in New York City. That's right, sure. Yeah, so I think you did a good job outlining it, right? Spun out of ITT in 2011, uh, clear vision to be a leader in, in water, a pure play. Management's done a great job, particularly the current CEO, Patrick Decker, uh, executing on that vision. Uh, really, this company plays across the entire water cycle, uh, any, any way you slice it. They're going to report results in three segments. So the way to think about it, their biggest is water infrastructure. That's maybe 40% of the portfolio. You can think about that as more upstream stuff. So this is transporting water, treating water, pumps, things like that. Uh, they're also going to be in a segment called applied water and think about this as more downstream it's typically where you're going to use water in a building uh, more commercial uh, for these guys than residential uh, and then lastly it's something they call measurement and con control solutions this is a very interesting area they bought a company called census uh, in the metering and communication space uh, which is the bulk of that and then also they have a portfolio of analytics solutions uh, including a company you may have heard of called Pure Technologies they bought that was a, a TSX company, uh, which they bought last year. Uh, so, the, so the real interesting thing here is, is sort of the pivot to smart infrastructure. Uh, that census company has something that they call their FlexNet platform. This is a mesh network, communications technology. Xylem uh, obviously has a big municipal presence. Call that, you know, 45% or so of the portfolio now they can really roll that technology out across all their infrastructure, the pumps uh, and things like that. And, and now you get into analytics and things like leak detection. So it becomes uh, a very interesting value proposition. You know, the whole move to smart cities, uh, water municipalities uh, make a lot of sense to roll that out and leverage that network. Um, to your point on, on the stock, you know, I think if you look at the chart and take a step back, stock had a phenomenal run over the past, call it, three plus years. Uh, so I think what you've seen lately is with many companies, some fears of uh, inflation uh, and, and tariff related concerns uh, have hit things like steel. And there's some concern that, that that's delaying projects in the water utility, municipal industrial space. Uh, so I think you're seeing a bit of profit taking now and, and that makes it interesting, right? On the pullback, it, it has been at the higher end evaluation ranges Core underlying business doing phenomenally well. Uh, treatment orders up up tremendously the past few quarters. So momentum is very strong. Uh, if there's concern, it's on margins and, and bigger picture tariff stuff. 
but a very interesting time, I think, to to take a closer look at the stock. It's a global company, is it not? And 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 how many countries does it have a presence in? It is a global uh, global company. Uh, hundreds, you know, over a hundred, I think, one hundred and fifty plus. It's amazing. Uh, think about the revenues as you know, maybe forty five percent North America, and then the rest, obviously, you know, international. What I like about it uh, in that mix is they have a very nice presence in emerging markets. Uh, this is China, this is India, and the Middle East, particularly, uh, including a localized presence, you know, where they're doing R&D and, and making uh, product for those markets. Um, what's interesting about emerging markets, re- remember, you've got a sort of a dichotomy between places like the United States, where we have really old infrastructure that's falling apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a very big install base. That's nice because it drives, you know, they don't have a recurring model, uh, but typically, you know, you're going to have someone's going to a pump is going to break. They're going to dust it off, look at the logo, buy a new one. Uh, so, so you have a nice replacement cycle. You also have nice aftermarket sales in, in developed markets. But in emerging markets, they're still building new infrastructure. These guys are really out there uh, doing a good job capturing a nice chunk of that. And, and that's obviously a faster growth uh, a market. Yeah, but what about the, the, the likes of um, places like the United Arab Emirates? Um, you know, these cities that were basically built in the middle of big deserts. I assume yeah. that would be a big ticket for a company like Xylem. Yeah, this is this is yeah exactly. This is new infrastructure, right? And and this is where they're really focused uh, heavily is in places like like the Middle East because um, they're spending a lot of money. They have big water issues. This is the, you know the long term secular drivers, right? I mean, are huge. It's it's emerging market growth. It's population growth. It's urbanization. But it's also water scarcity uh, in places uh, like the Middle East and in China and in India. And but yeah, again, we in North America, especially here in Canada, you know, we forget that there are so many shortages of water around the world. We're we're, we're blessed to the point to think of of well potential cautionary uh, outcomes. Uh, look, we're we're on the line here with Chip Moore. He's an analyst with Canaccord, uh, a sustainable analyst uh, and a very smart analyst. Uh, we're gonna pay some bills around here, Chip, and get right back to you with a few more questions on some of your names. Sounds good. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Welcome back. Hi-Fi Radio, 640 in Toronto. Wolfgang Klein. Jack Hartle in studio, and we're on the line with Chip Moore. He's an analyst uh, with Canaccord. Uh, he covers some very, very unique companies. Uh, we are just talking about Xylem, a pure play water company. It's a $12 billion stock. Not that big, which means, you know, unlike some of these behemoths, uh, Amazon, the Apple, that are, you know, uh, encroaching a trillion dollars of market valuation. This company here, it's not a tiny company. It's a $12 billion company, which means, I think, a lot of upside. But let's move over to another very interesting stock uh, and company that you cover, and that's called Ecolab. Uh, They, too, uh, have a footprint in the water business, correct? That is correct. So let's talk Uh, about that stock. What does that company, Ecolab, do? Because it's a very quality business as well. It is a very quality business. Been around a long time uh, and, and really you know, behind the scenes, you're going to see it everywhere. Uh, they, uh, it, th- this is an annuity type model where they are dispensing chemicals uh, across a number of markets, but they're not a commodity chemical play. It's, it's a value. Uh, it's a total value solution. So they're going to help customers save on things like energy, on things like water, 
uh, and particularly more and more, uh, labor is, is a big concern. Um, their real secret sauce is their, their field service uh, organization, very large, 26,000-plus uh, uh, folks on the ground in trucks. Uh, you'll see them throughout cities. So this is going to be food service. Uh, it's going to be institutional markets, you know, hotels, restaurants, uh, things like that. Um, they also have a nice energy business. They bought a company called Nalco several years ago that, that does a lot of water treatment and, and also uh, uh, oil field chemicals. Hmm. So, so again, let's get let's drill down then into each of their silos of business. Um, which 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 silo is most intriguing to you and has the greatest amount of growth? Yeah, their their bread and butter is really in the institutional uh, market. Um, this is where they have a, a great share. And you know, you go into your Starbucks and and they're washing dishes, they're wiping down the floors. They're, they're using this company, uh, this company's uh, equipment and service and solutions. Um, so, so that's really their bread and butter platform. Um, you know, good growth there. If you look at the company as a whole, very predictable results, right? It's 90% plus recurring, which, you know, I really like that. And I think most investors uh, would agree with that. They have uh, sort of a proven growth formula. So it's organic growth in sort of the 5 to 6% range consistently. Uh, they get a little bit of price. They get a little bit of leverage. And they turn that into 12% plus consistent EPS growth. Uh, and then on top of that, good free cash flow. So acquisition potential uh, and stock buyback gets you to a 15% uh, uh, EPS uh, growth year over year is, is really the goal on this one. That's where you see the consistent good results. In terms of some growth areas, you know, they don't have a huge presence in healthcare. It's a natural market for them, right? Think about hand hygiene. and. Oh, hospitals. I thought they have surprising. That's I thought the healthcare exactly. was certainly one of them. Wow. It's, it's not, eh? It, it's growing, but uh -huh. it's, uh, compared to their other markets, right? It's it's an underpenetrated, you know, growth avenue. Uh -huh. And you think you think about things like hospital acquired infections, and they're rolling out some interesting solutions with sensors, you know, where the doctor uh, gets a buzz because he didn't wash his hands when he left the room. You know, very simple <laughs> things like that. But there's real value there for hospitals, and you even have some regulatory stuff. Uh, uh, driving that. They also are really growing. Sorry, I, I have a vision of a Seinfeld episode yeah. in my head right now. I'm looking at the episode. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, and they have a big, a big growing presence in something they call life sciences. Life sciences, this is really pharmaceuticals and, and uh, co cosmetics. Uh, legacy solutions are really, in terms of cleaning, are just basically steam. Uh, and they're coming in there with their, uh, their more advanced solutions. Mm-hmm. How about, their, how about their energy services, Chip? Because back, I think it was beginning of 2016, I think when uh, energy sold off as much as it did, um, Equalabs almost traded like a, an energy services company. I know it's a, an important segment for them, but uh, is that a, a growth opportunity? How much um, revenue is generated there? Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's a decent chunk of the portfolio. That It's less of a focus of growth. I think that you know they're happy with where they are. And it's, 20, it's maybe 20% of the portfolio. Uh, you know, they bet a little large on, uh, they bought another company called Champion. And so I think the area that's a little more volatile is is sort of the, uh, you know, drilling uh, upstream uh, activity. That's an area where the, you can see them maybe divest some stuff. But, but the core sort of refinery chemical uh, business, it, it fits their, their recurring model very well. Um, and you've seen that business obviously, you know, it was a headwind uh, with the energy downturn, but now it's started to become uh, a tailwind as well. You know, another thing with this name is just in general, 
as a company where its solutions are chemicals, uh, they need to pass on price. There's a bit of a lag. Uh, so they've lapped that. You're going to see better results in the back half of this year. We have Chip Moore online. He's talking Ecolab with us. The symbol is a ECL. It too trades on the big board. Uh, two very, very quality businesses that uh, you shared with us today, uh, Ecolab and Xylem. Uh, I'm going to keep doing some work on that Xylem one. It's getting closer to my buy point, the Ecolab. A bit pricey, but you're getting good quality growth, 15% growth, uh, 25 times uh, PE multiple. Gives you a peg ratio at what, one and a half, close to two. So not not cheap, but uh, I guess if you want quality, you got to pay up. That's really what we're seeing in this marketplace. Uh, the value trade is not here. The growth trade remains in place. Hey, uh, Chip? That's right. Yeah. Look, I want to wish you a great weekend in Boston, my friend. Uh, real pleasure having you on Hi-Fi Radio. You've been very helpful, very informative. I Have yourself a, just a great weekend. Thank you, and go Bruins. <laughs> well, that's it for the show. Thank you very much for tuning in to Hi-Fi Radio, a weekly show about money and a little weaved in music and entertainment uh, just to help wake you up. Wish you a great weekend. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.